Hey everybody, this is Derek. This is Mark. What's up? Just couldn't stay away. We had to come back and record. Trying to yep, do format sure. here. We'll see if it works. I'm sure. You, our you know what I do to, to help myself stay awake for these is I I put an ice pack on the back of my neck. And now I'm thinking, you know, maybe just halfway through I'll just grab a new ice pack. Maybe that would be all I really need. <laughs> okay. We'll see. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. Um yeah, the brazen heads podcast at gmail.com. Let us know uh, what you think about our new schedule. <laughs> it's like no one's even going to notice, but for us, it's a big deal. Uh, dude, yeah, changed my whole week around. Whoa, total upheaval. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna keep it a little bit more brief today. But before we get into Twin Peaks, uh, what's going on? You want to talk about? Uh, uh, did you watch the GOP debate tonight? <laughs> No, I, I was not aware of there was not. one. Yeah, why? Why would you be? Why would anybody be? <laughs> yeah. this, that's crazy. Like, this is an election year, right? Like, we're getting into an election year, and it's just like, I don't know what to say about Did, it. It's like, Trump's going to win, right? It's going to be Trump-Biden, and Trump's going to win, and that's it. I don't know, man. I, it's like, am I just getting old, or I'm just getting to that place where just nothing seems real? It just all seems mm-hmm. like a fake joke. It's like a big yeah. joke on Diz. That's what it, that's what it feels like, but... Uh, that's uh, hypernormalization. I, I mean, it felt right? like in like in two thousand. Remember that election? Like that felt, that felt like a real thing. I don't know. This just doesn't feel real. Yeah. Well, two thousand uh, was was yeah. We were you know in high school, finishing up high school, and it was notable because I remember discussing like the Bush v. Gore stuff in our literal like uh, you know um, hanging chads, dude. Yeah, we were discussing that Pat in Buchanan. our social studies class. <laughs> yeah. People voting for Whatever Pat Buchanan, that, they don't want to. They had a weird name for that class when we were in 12th grade. I can't, I can't remember like what it was called. Civics or something. Yeah, it's like your civics class, but I can't remember what it was called. But uh, um, but yeah, I remember talking about that. And then 2004, you know, we were sort of politically active at that time. You know, we were running a philosophy club on campus and we hosted a libertarian speaker, uh, on cam- libertarian candidate as a speaker yeah, on Michael campus. Yeah, Michael Badnarik. Um, so like, that was cool. Um, and that was also a consequential election from the macro perspective, I guess. Um, just because like the Iraq war had just broken out and stuff. Although in retrospect, I think the historical like summation of the Oh four election was, it was just like, you know, Bush was going to get reelected because we had a war going on and everyone was terrified because of nine 11. And it was like, you know, he, he, the, the historical story that's told is that he really kind of got a solid mandate. Like there was a good, uh, uh, amount of support for Bush in that election, uh, compared to like some of the other tight races that we've seen. Yeah. That's why I <clears throat> lost a lot of respect for people. I remember because they cared about who won. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, you care about who actually, you think that actually matters who wins. Okay. I guess I'm better than you then. <laughs> you know what, from my 22 today, year old perspective i i'm just way better okay it's it's funny that we're looking Which back in history right now honest, but yeah i i mean everyone knew you thought that anyway but <laughs> then you became comfortable telling them yeah yeah right well i just remember my philosophy teacher coming in that day and just making the whole class about that and i kind of i mean i liked her you know she she communicated the ideas well it was a plato aristotle class and then that day we just spent so much time on that and i just felt like oh this is sad this just feels sad. Now, now you seem like a, a crazy old lady in a shawl. You were like cute before. It, it, it just you seem smart and cool and oh, like you know she she uh, when she goes home at night she opens up the Republic and you know has a glass of wine and you know reads Plato and then it just just turned into yeah crazy lady yeah like cat lady. I mean that kind of vibe, you know. Yeah, and we see that every election cycle now. You see people overtaken by this hysteria of the stakes of just like you know this this election is the most important election of our lives. And Dude, they've been so saying on and that so forth. all anybody who says that they're not your friend. <clears throat> it's weird, you know. I have a lot to say about that. We might not get into all of it today, but I mean, yeah, it's. I agree with you. This one, like you know, people probably know listening, that there's a lot of political distance between me and you in some sense but i always keep coming back to this thing that like yeah but there's a lot of common ground that is really like ripe for a new consensus a a new sort of like polarity change where it's like there's people on uh uh, the other extremes of this um what is that called that political chart that like 2d thing um yeah the political it's like like libertarian left authoritarian right something yes that libertarian authoritarian 
left right something. It's, it's like if those axes could shift it's like there's so much common ground and this is another one of those things like i don't care whether you're on the far left or if you want to like delete all laws uh, either way, we can both agree that like this system is set up in, in its current form so that these elections do not matter. And what they actually exist to do is to give people this feeling of participation, you know, once every four years, which is all anybody has time for anyway. And that's exactly the way that they want it to be, right? It's like, um, well, and dude, so that's why celebrity. Power, would you want to give it up? Right. And that's why celebrity becomes important, right? Or like whatever the different touchstones are, you know, or wokeness, you know, you want to look at it from the other perspective. It's just, there needs to be some sort of performance that is easy for people to consume, easy for people to analyze so that they can pick what side they're on because no one's got time to learn who the Houthis are, right? And like why it interacts with like the last 60 years of foreign policy or whatever, you know, the situation might be. Yeah, or, or just philosophical debate about the purpose of government. I mean, can we yeah, start? Absolutely. Can, can we start right. there? And I mean, that, you know, it goes back a lot farther than are we even taught to read critically to even get to the point where you could have a philosophical debate about, you know, the purpose of the government. Um, right. Which is what we did in that philosophy club, by the way, which was, you know, I, we must have been really annoying, but it was really good for us. I, I mean, it was really good for me to do stuff like that. Right. So to, to fine-tune my, my intellect. Um, well, it's just so funny that we just so happen to be talking about this right now as a pure coincidence. And I swear I never do this. You would probably say like, oh, you do this all the time. But I swear I never do this. On an utter whim today, I went back and listened to a 2003 Henry Rollins spoken word uh, album mm. um and it's been a long time i mean well, you know, that's as probably you know, when we went i think we went a couple times but it was probably around 2003 yeah he visited campus around that time it might have been 04 or something like that but yeah definitely oh, dude he's, what's you know, he's he talking of, about like his uso tours or something he's so this in this show that i was listening to it's one of the if you want to go find it uh it's one of the talk is cheap shows which was a set of four different shows that he released as like spoken word cds back then and uh, it was recorded in 03 in Australia. Uh, or no, it was recorded in 04. I think it was recorded in 04. Uh, yeah, it was recorded in 04. Uh, early, uh, early 04. He's talking about the Iraq War, though. Um, mm. And just going back to what you were saying about your philosophy teacher, it's just like, it's so weird to think that, like, at the time, I listened to Rollins and thought of them, him as this voice of sanity. Not really politically so much, because... Uh, he he wasn't really about that so much, but just like a person whose perspective on life and and you know just whatever his energy was something that I was very much like admired. Oh yeah, definitely. and um, and still do to this day. I'm not taking anything away from the guy, but it is funny how like when you hear him talk about the Iraq War, he doesn't have anything deeper to say uh, aside from the fact that uh, you know having war is is a bummer. Like people die. Uh, Bush seemed very eager to rush headlong into this war rather than letting, you know, weapons inspectors discover, you know, the, the possibility that Iraq actually didn't have WMDs. Like basically, like Daily Show takes about how the war in Iraq was unjustified and that the Bush administration looked goofy on TV. But no deeper analysis, no real political discussion of like you know, how we had been meddling with Iraq for decades. You know, there's a part where he puts this like... This is what the deep state wants or the military industrial complex, right, something about Yeah, that. right. No, no well, thought well, of really the deep state. that's really picked up in the ether in the past seven or so years. I yes, exactly. That's why it was so striking to me is that it really reminded me of like, wow, yeah, this conversation has shifted. And honestly, I think that's for the best. I mean, yeah, we might be crazier and more atomized yeah. than ever, but at least we talk about this stuff. Whereas back then, the best thing that you could hope would be to find somebody who was, yeah, critical of George Bush, but also didn't have enough insight or like perspective to see how, you know, we were entangled in all of this stuff long before George Bush. Uh, it's just kind of like missing that whole part uh, of his viewpoint. I mean, he's talking about how, like, um, how much America's military kicks ass and how, um, you know, it, it just stinks seeing troops coming home in body bags. And it's just like, yeah, I, I, I understand right, yeah. that point, but that's also <laughs> it's a like weird he just thing to Johnny be. got his gun. Right. It's like, no, we're about to kill like, you know, uh, half a million people. Like, it's kind of a weird thing to like point to be focusing on. But I guess like if you're just if it's 2004 and you don't have that conversation shift that has happened since then, 
It's like that. that's kind of the best you could hope from anybody back then. And I'm not like blaming him. I'm not pinpointing him, but it's just, I thought it yeah, was emblematic. Yeah, it's just a total shift. And I mean, yeah, cultures changed a lot. And we always say, oh, the woke happened. But I think, I, I think there are a lot of good intellectual movements going on right now in America. And I don't know, like people get down in America, like, oh, we're collapsing. Oh, we're just like well, Weimar, Germany, or, you know, like the Russian Revolution. It's like, yeah, we're not, we're not Europeans, guys. Like, this is different. There's like a lot of cool intellectual trends going on. And, you know, I, well, I don't know if he was in this debate, but what about uh, Vivek Ramaswamy? I think, I mean, the way he talks directly to certain cultural issues, it is astounding to me, talking specifically about the military industrial complex and talking about Building 7. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, I haven't seen that. I, I but, mean, yeah, it's, it's amazing that I mean, just the f- that that's incredible. You know, I mean, even 15 years ago, like talking about 9/11, it was just like sitting around your dorm room or something. But I, I, I think you know. So, so there's stuff like that. I mean, obviously, he's not getting tons of support, but he's getting some. I mean, there are people out there like that. He's getting some traction, you know. And I think right. if a guy like that even gets something like five or six percent of the vote. It would be huge. It lets everybody else know, okay, this is where it's going. So that's just one example. I'm not saying he's some intellectual philosophical powerhouse. I'm not, right. not going to make that claim. But he does, I think, his political campaign and how it is going, I think it's going at least better than people thought, is an indication of yeah, where the cultural... Uh, over tin window, whatever is changing. And, and we're just talking about different things. And yeah, we're not making like a Johnny got his gun argument. Like, Oh, look at the terror. Look at the horror of war. It's like, no, you want, you want to go to war. That That's what you want. Cause it's how you make money. Cause, because they're lobbyists make a lot of money. If we go to war, that's how this works. Right. Right. Yeah. And there's, yeah, there, there's, <clears throat> yeah, I guess I don't want to say anything particularly, um yeah, ex- exactly what you said yeah like we're not endorsing a specific like candidate or anything like that i d- don't know nearly enough about vivek to say anything good about him particularly but the the but the case in like the isolated point that it's a candidate who's willing to say building seven whereas previously there was no such thing dude v- um, vivek talks about individualism i mean what about the guy in argentina he he uses words. I mean, it's like a philosophical discourse. I mean, I saw part of it on Twitter. But he's talking about individualism versus collectivism. It's a philosophical speech. You know, there's stuff like that's going on that's like really, um, you know, obviously it's not going to overtake the world or anything, and I, I don't expect it to, but just get it on people's radar more. And, you know. Yeah. But let's use the government with care. Just because you want, you know, a certain law passed or a certain program, you really got to think about what that means, you know? And I think people are starting to do that now. Yeah. I mean, I'll be interested to see. I mean, I guess, yeah, it's hard to say it without sounding like a cynic. I'm not really a cynic in the long term, but I do think we might have to go through like a nadir that we haven't hit yet. So, like, you know, we might wind up in a situation where, you know, we see people saying more of the right thing that we would expect or that we would, we would want them to say and still getting the same outcomes over and over again. And what that's going to mean to me personally, if that happens, which I would predict, yes, that will happen is that it's just saying something a little bit more systemic about like, yeah, our deep state, you know, about the fact that this system is, is engineered in a certain way and not consciously, but just that forces give rise to this thing. And the natural course of events is that it's going to wind up like engendering this, like, this this trajectory this like sequence of events um kind of outside of our control uh to a large extent i mean certainly there's no democratic control over foreign policy right now it's like a a a, a teeny tiny talking point that i like coming back to a lot because it's just like a good reminder of how much stuff is going on in our names that we don't vote for uh and how wrapped up we can get in this one thing that we do every four years at best as if that's what matters yeah, yeah. So, a certain amount of decisions went into uh, having us go into Ukraine, for instance. Mm-hmm. What percentage of the people who made those decisions were voted in by the populace? Right. And I, I think I don't think Vivek says deep state. Maybe he does, but he definitely says managerial class, and that's what he's talking mm-hmm. about. And it's right. like, yeah, the idea that you know you can have this government. Um, uh, push programs that you want, but inadvertently you create this yet yeah, bureaucratic uh, institution and everything comes at a cost. And I think we're seeing a real cost of, you know, certain big government policies, Terry. Right. 
it is weird to think that, yeah, this somebody like Vivek, who on paper the left should hate, uh, can wind up potentially being sort of like your only port in a storm because at least he's willing to say that, like, look, I am a CEO. I worked with all of these people and I can tell you definitively that, like, they're doing all the bad shit that you think that they're doing. <laughs> and I'm willing at least to acknowledge that, talk about it and, and try to do something differently. Um, there, there's something to that, that that could maybe have an appeal. And I don't I'm not saying anything. I'm not endorsing him because I don't you know have any grounds to really do that. But it's like <clears throat> there's like a point of personal uh, like experience there that he can raise. Uh, that, you know, somebody like Nikki Haley cannot, like she's literally part of the deep state, right? Like her, oh, her dude, the way he deep. calls her out and then the, the wrinkly, ugly faces that she makes in response is, is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. yeah he, he, he calls her like a war criminal and all this stuff. It's great. Yeah. She's not like, I mean, none and of and them he's is really likeable. annoying, real, which, which is fun. Yeah. He's really annoying. <laughs> he's so yeah. annoying. And I, you just see everybody just, cause he just comes after you and you can tell he's, whatever well spoken he clearly rehearses these things but he does it well he really communicates it well and he doesn't just say like oh you're a woke idiot he he like takes it philosophical yeah i think there is a thing going on right now i saw this uh, this i didn't see this tonight i saw this after the previous uh republican debate but after the previous republican debate uh they had a plot uh of polling in the financial times that showed every single participant in the republican debate going down in approval and trump going up because he wasn't there <laughs> like it's the best move that you can make is just don't be there and people like you in your absence uh and i think that sort of uh, approach in the abstract is going to carry him all the way to the nomination yeah i mean yeah trump's gonna win the nomination i mean we'll see if he wins the election yeah all right we're going to keep things brisk here. So you want to move on to Twin Peaks? Brief, you mean? Uh, brisk and brief, yeah. Okay, yeah, okay, great. Um, right, <laughs> Twin Peaks 16, arbitrary law. I don't... I mean, I, I guess I no, I guess I do know what, what the meaning of that, that title comes from now. Now that I was about to say it out loud. Well, like the nature of Cooper's sort of investigation and not having the grounds to reliably prosecute... Yeah, well, that, and also I was thinking, um, pretending like you're arresting Ben Horn when really you're arresting Leland. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. So th is, is this there is some the culmination. etymology of arbitrary that, that would fit there? It seems like there would be. Oh, yeah, good, good I question. i go back to my SAT note cards. cards. I'll see if I can pull up the OED in the background here while we talk about this. It's a little bit hard to pull that off uh, in real time, but I'll see if I can do it here. Um, but yeah, this is... Episode 16, um, a.k.a. episode 209, uh, and we'll start with the Log Lady intro, as is tradition. Um, I have it here. Um, this one's pretty literal. Uh, so now the sadness comes, the revelation. There is a depression after an answer is given. It was almost fun not knowing. Yes, now we know. At least we know what we sought in the beginning. But there is still the question, why? By the way, I think you said exactly the same thing that she's saying, like, last week. When we were saying, like, oh, we're going to find out who the killer is. And you're like, yeah, but that's when the show just gets started, because then we get into all the lore and stuff. Yeah, man. She says, and this question will go on and on until the final answer comes. When the knowing is so full, there is no room for questions. All right, now let's look up arbitrary in the Oxford English well, I mean, Dictionary. that's what happens at the end of this episode. I mean, they pretty much say okay well now we're just gonna fight evil because mm -hmm. that's what yeah. <laughs> it's like okay now now let's do it and let, let, let's get some cool symbolism for for good and evil in the, in the woods and oh, i love it mm -hmm. well there's no interesting etymology on arbitrary um in the oed and that's because it's just a very literal um uh borrowing i guess they call it from latin um, so a lot of times the etymology section of the OED will be super interesting because it will talk about like the evolution of like how this word like took shape in modern usage. Mm -hmm. But if it's a word that's like kind of very specific and purely Latin, then they don't really say anything because it's just like, well, yeah, this word has always existed basically ever since, uh, you know, our historical times. Is that really better than simply Googling, uh, arbitrary etymology? No, but if you're an infinite jest head, you got to look in the OED. I mean, how are you <laughs> going to be like Hal if you're not looking in the OED? Dude, I was just thinking when you, when you mentioned OED, I'm like, oh, this freaking guy. No, yeah, that's pure. I mean, this the OED is, like, is awesome. So, the so first of all, you get out. 
You get free access. Everyone check with your local library. Usually you can use your library card to get free access to the OED. We get it through the LAPL, the LA Public Libraries. Um, so yeah, don't miss out on that if you have it available to you. It has a really good online version. Um, and yeah, it's worth taking the time to go do, uh, to go look at uh, when you really care about some of that like deep history. Uh, and also Google is getting in shitified. Uh, as we were talking about before we started recording. So sometimes you try to Google something very simple and it takes too long to get a nice answer, like trying to find a recipe. Man, I actually have started asking ChatGPT for recipes instead of Googling them. Because when you Google something, you get like three pages of search results that are all like these blog posts that only exist to serve ads. But if you just ask ChatGPT, like what are the right ratios for a salsa? Like it'll just give it to you in a paragraph and you're done. Yeah, that that ChatGPT is, is that ChatGPT is best for that stuff. Like, like just uh, imagine yourself like some eighteen ninety five robber baron, and mm-hmm. he has like some secretary running around just doing random stuff for him, j- just because he has whims. Right. That's what Chat ChatGPT is for. Like, Susie, find me a recipe for blah blah blah. I think that is what it's going to, if I had to predict like what course this technology is going to take, I think that is what it's going to be. Like the example I always come to is um, planning your vacation. I think it's going to become a thing where like you subscribe to it and then you tell it like you're allowed to spend this amount of money and I want to spend three days here, you know, figure it all out for me and it'll just do it. I I think that will happen in the near term. Right. It's something that you could totally do. It would just take three days and F that ass, dude. Right. Um, and that was supposed to be all accomplishable via APIs. That's a whole separate discussion. Uh, the brazen heads podcast at gmail.com. If you want to nerd out about APIs, but like those are not going to work. It's too much because of the, again, because of the economic environment that these tech companies are operating in, but chat GPT or AIs like it can get around all of that stuff. They can literally just navigate the website the way a human would. But anyway, different, different discussion for a different day. Um, here in twin peaks world, um, if you remember where we left off last time, um, Maddie's body was found and we've been watching Leland Palmer act crazy, uh, basically. So we know, but the cops don't know yet what's going on. Ben Horn arrested. Um, and but Ben I guess Horn he was has been arrested, arrested previously. So yeah, yeah, yeah he was, like he was in jail the ago, whole maybe. last episode. Right. Yeah. So, um, they, after discovering Maddie's body, um, the cops, including Albert, uh, are talking, and, uh, you know, Albert's giving his forensic take on the Maddie uh, murder. He says, this is the same killer. Um, there's a letter under her nail, just like there was with the previous ones. And they also found fur from a white fox that also had traces of formaldehyde. So it's like a, a preserved or a, what do you call it? Taxidermied uh, mm-hmm. animal. And as we know, because we saw it happen in the previous episode, Harry's getting fed up with the woohoo. Uh, he's ready to just go after Ben Horn, but Coop says, Harry, I need 24 hours to finish this. And, um, it's kind of like a desperation in Coop and Hawk tells him you're on the path. You don't need to know where it leads. Just follow. Yeah. You're basically giving him free reign to do whatever weird stuff, like bring out whatever Tibetan Buddhist, whatever book. Right. And we see another little, you know, Albert's nuts. humanity. Al- Albert is, you know, touched by this also. You know, started off being this like cold, uh, you know, weird FBI guy, but now he's like warmed up and he's empathetically wanting the killer to be found. Okay. So white fur from a dead fox. So that is from um, Ben Horn's office, but taken yep, and, by Leland. Didn't Leland yeah. take a, a fist, a, like a clip full of it or something a couple episodes ago? Yes, there was a shot a couple episodes earlier where Leland is pawing that fox. And it even kind of, he does a little bit of acting business there where he like gets some on his hands and is looking at it and stuff while Ben is talking to him. Well, cause I remember saying something to, to you about that. See, that that's yeah. why we go through these episodes like this. So You're right. It, it, You're it right. Matters. You did bring that up. This is yep. very important. Yeah, so I brought it up. And, and I remember you saying something like, yeah, it's just weird, huh? Mm-hmm. I didn't remember that they found that this uh, fur in her Me hand. Me neither. Yeah. Me neither. Yeah, that's good stuff. Good mystery writing stuff there. Um, okay, next we have James and Donna acting all lovey-dovey at the diner. You know, they're on cloud nine because Maddie's gone and they're just in love with each other. And they just um, had sex. I mean, that's the implication. And, and they definitely the boned down. time, it seems like. Yeah, I guess probably maybe the first time. I don't know. You, Laura's been dead for a while, but yeah, I guess 
maybe it's it's like in Star Trek trying to figure out when Shatner has sex. Like there's always they do something weird, <laughs> like he's standing up out of bed or something. <laughs> <laughs> right. And like oh, I think he just okay, sweet. Uh, Norma's mom is there at the diner, being kind of a judgmental uh, hag for a minute there. No big deal. There's no furthering of the Norma uh, plot line on this episode. Um, and then Andy is sitting at the counter of the diner saying, J'ai un homme solitaire. He says, Ami. It's pronounced Om. Or, I mean, I can't pronounce it either, but it's closer <laughs> to that at least. Um, and Donna walks by and she's like, What? Like, what are you saying? Because Donna only knows that. Um, from when she was visiting Mrs. Tremont doing the Meals on Wheels stuff. And there was that weird scene where the kid, the lady's laid up in bed and the kid holding the cream corn in his hand says, Jane Om Solitaire. Um, but Andy knows it because it was mentioned in Harold's suicide note. Um, he used that phrase. So Don is putting this together and is thinking, okay, there's some connection here. This Would guy Harold synchronicity? had... Yeah, Harold had Laura's secret diary... I went to go visit this lady and her grandson is telling me this. Like, I better tell Agent Cooper about this. Okay. Um, so then we have Donna bringing Cooper to Mrs. Tremont's place. Uh, and it's a completely different lady who doesn't know anything that Donna's asking about. Uh, so something the place weird looks is going on too, here. right? Place looks different. Yes, I think so. Yeah. It's like a, just a totally different scene. So, so, so what Donna's, is the... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's... Go ahead. So so what is the what's going on with this place? It's like the entryway into the Black Lodge or Yeah, I mean It's like some time warp. It's a good question. I mean, I don't really have the answer there. I mean, we do know we are going to learn in Firewalk with me that Mrs. Tremond gives Laura the painting that she hangs on her wall, mm -hmm. right? Which serves as Laura's sort of entrance way. Um to and from this other realm. Oh, that's and the also, entrance to the Black Lodge, the painting. Yeah, is it an entrance to the Black Lodge, or is it this sort of... I mean, I don't know. Or, I don't know oh, how, it's just like, a picture of what the entrance looks like. I just don't know how like metaphysically like solid any of that stuff really is. I mean, we know that Glastonbury Grove is the entrance to the Black Lodge that, that um, you know, Wyndham Earl is going to wind up caring about, but we'll get to that later. I, I think so, you just think of it like a dream. So if you're Laura and, and Mrs. Tremont gives you the, this image of this room, mm -hmm. that's a entry to the black lodge. I mean, that's what is that saying? Right? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, Bob definitely seems to sort of like emerge from it and firewalk with me. So there's something there. Um, and, but so this, this real world, Mrs. Tremont also has a note that Harold had Harold has left for Donna or it's an envelope. And actually inside of it is a page from Laura's diary. And um, it just has more like Bob and Mike information in it. But the big thing that's important about it is that Laura describes the same dream that Cooper had. You know, she says that she's in this red room, a little man was dancing and she saw this old guy. She doesn't know who Cooper is, you know, but Laura mm -hmm. says that, you know, she whispered her secret about Bob uh, to him. And uh, she felt like it's the only way, uh, or, or she, she said that, you know, and then her diary goes on to say that she has to die. Tonight is the night that she's going to die. Um, I know it, and it's the only way to keep Bob uh, away from me. Right. Um, yeah, and she it's also, like a, a, a girl who's so emotionally messed up and physically abused that she's like, I'm so, I, I'm so messed up by this point, I just have to kill myself. Yeah, and she also mentions in the note uh, Mike, the one-armed man, or who we know as the one-armed man. Um, and so Cooper says, like, okay, I need to go, you know, see Gerard again. Um, so he's back in his bed. By the way, like, remember he, like, escaped? Like, he beat the yeah, guard? Yeah, he come back? I was thinking that. Yeah, well, when they pull over Leland, right, with the golf club scene, uh -huh. like, the reason why Truman gets pulled away and has to go answer his police car radio is that they're telling him, hey, we found Gerard. Oh, um, that's what was, okay. So I guess they just, like, recaptured him. In other words, like, Gerard escaping was, like, it went nowhere. <laughs> the complete, like, dead <laughs> it feels end. feels like there was a scene that was cut out there. Yeah, yeah that could have been. Um, so um, Cooper's, you know, back talking to Philip Gerard, and they're not giving him his, his drugs without chemicals, he points, because Cooper's trying to get more information from yeah. Mike. 
Um, and he says, uh, you know, to talk to the giant and uh, you have all the clues that you need. And he describes how, um, and Mike describes how when he and Bob were killing together, you know, and they were both evil demons in partnership, um, there was a perfect cycle of, of appetite and satisfaction, uh, a golden circle. Uh, and that's what reminds Cooper of his ring and reminds him of the giants. And so just all these different like symbologies, owls, rings, the trees, the giant, like this is all going to come into play. But that's uh, not episode. what the ring symbolizes. It's just uh, Cooper made that association. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. But I mean, I think very specifically, Mike was making the hand gesture to to prompt Cooper to think about the ring. Because we also see in... Um, shit, is that in Firewalk With Me? Yeah, it is. At the end of Firewalk With Me, we also see um, the one-armed man... Um, get, what does he do? Does he give the ring to Laura? Yeah, doesn't he like throw the ring into the train car or something? Different ring, but I just... I don't know. Rings are relevant to the spiritual, whatever, uh, realm here. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I mean, I know that scene from Fire Walk with me, and I think it's one of those things where I watch it, I think, oh, this is significant. I'm going to remember, and then I, I never do. Right. Well, yeah, that's, yeah I, I do after I watch it five more times. So Yeah, I mean, that's going. what's sort of like tantalizing about this story is that it has all these small things. Of course, the twin perfect guy has a way of explaining all of them, but I think some of them are just out there because they're they're part of the vibe. You know, and rings being these things that somehow interact between the two realms um, is just part of that vibe. You know, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's something. Yeah. It's like a symbiotic relationship, like artists who would just do something for the vibe and then the analyzers who would never do something for the vibe take that and then analyze it like it's right. a real thing. And it's like... And that's what that's what Lynch is all about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, out in the hallway, outside of the one-armed man's room, Cooper sees the old room service guy uh, from my favorite episode. Mm -hmm. um, and he says, that milk will cool down on you, but it's getting warmer now. So Cooper is on the right trail here. Um, and then over in Ben Horn's office at the Great Northern, they see the stuffed fox in Ben Horn's office. They also have phone records that show that the phone in Ben's office made a call to Laura on the night of her death. Um, so all these things are pointing towards uh, Ben, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, at the end of the scene, without like any sort of conclusion, it's just mentioned real quickly that they also uh, just got their blood test results from Ben. But they don't say what the result was. They're just, now that we know the results are in. Mm -hmm. um, there's a guy at the sheriff's station working on the sprinkler system. That'll be relevant in a minute. Um, well, Lucy and Andy are, are talking about their gossip. Right, yeah, yeah Andy yeah. and Lucy's yeah, 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 doing their soap opera thing, and he's listening on. Yep. Who's the father um, of my sperm count? You know, good Jerry exactly, Springer Exactly, the baby stuff, the baby yeah. stuff, yeah. Um, okay, and then uh, Tojimura's son visits Ben uh, in jail, uh, but this is where she reveals herself, and it turns out that it's actually Catherine, and Ben is so happy to see her alive, and and they make a deal so that he'll sign over the Ghostwood Project and the mill to Catherine if she just tells uh, the cops that, you know, that Ben actually has an alibi for that night. He was with her. He didn't kill Laura and, and gets Ben out of jail. Um, so that's their deal that they're basically struck. Although Catherine does kind of leave him hanging. You know, he's he's in a, in a weak negotiating position, so she kind of walks off on him. You know, you know what I don't like about this scene is they make Ben seem like a neat freak in the jail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's like, like, like he's, he's laying a, a handkerchief on the bed so he doesn't sit on the mattress and he's wiping off the bars before he touches him. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I see Ben thinking that he's better than everybody, but that does not equate to Neat Freak. Yeah. Poor characterization there. I think mm. we're seeing uh, David Lynch's uh, mm, his influence fade. Yeah, you might be right. But that, I, sh I meant to mention that earlier, by the way, is that this episode is definitely not uh, elegant the way some of these other like classic episodes are. There's a lot of clumsy stuff in it, <clears throat> both in the writing and the way it's shot. There's a lot of Dutch angles where the camera is like diagonal for no real reason. It just kind of looks weird. It looks it looks very TV-ish to me. And some of the writing's a little bit clunky. Um, it doesn't have that like special like magic uh, that some of the other things do. Like we were discussing the bouncing rubber balls uh, last week. There's there's nothing really like that here. 
Well, what but about it's good the, for the plot. The guns coming back in style. Yeah, I mean they do that is stuff. That a thing? But yeah, it is, but it's kind of like already an established thing. Like it just doesn't have that extra polish, in my opinion. Okay. Um, that's I'll my. I'll trust opinion. you on that. Okay, now we're getting towards like the final sort of arc of the episode here. Um, Donna goes over to visit Leland. Um, she's just trying to give him a tape of the "Just You and I" song, the best you know song in the history of uh, pop music. <laughs> um, and she wants Leland to send that send that to Maddie. Um, but while she's there, you know, she brings up like, "Hey, did you know like they found Laura's diary?" Uh, like, no, not the one you're thinking of. It's like the secret diary. There's this Harold Smith guy, and like Leland doesn't really know anything about this, and he's clearly kind of spooked. Like, oh shit, mm-hmm. you know, because he's thinking this diary probably mentions me. Um, and then the phone rings, and so things are getting a little bit creepy. And obviously, you, the viewer, who have just seen Leland kill Maddie in this room, you know, two episodes ago, you know, this is this is tense yeah. stuff here. Yeah. Plus, he's approaching Donna from behind. Mm-hmm. in a sneaky way and then he touches her hair right so you know stuff right. like that's going on I mean. yeah well before that even happens before they cut to commercial because they actually have a commercial break in the middle of this scene um uh we also see bob in the mirror again just like we did before leland killed maddie um but before that happens it's all like a you know it's all happening fast it doesn't order doesn't really matter there's also a phone call that comes in it's maddie's mom beth um telling leland like she never made it home uh, and Donna basically immediately knows that something's wrong. Yeah. Um, and Leland's kind of dumbstruck too, but he's like playing it off cool. Yeah, um, I'm sure she's fine. But before he kind of d- flips that switch and like starts playing it off cool again, he pops in a stick of gum, uh, like you just mentioned a minute ago. Uh, and yeah, gum comes up later on in the episode as well. Um, but yeah, he starts up the record player. Do you remember what he, Twin Perfect thinks that means? The gum? Did he even talk? No, I don't remember. But. I don't. He definitely does mention it, but it's, you know, like with everything in that video, it's nothing's a very precise, like pinpointed explanation of anything. It's all just kind of like this interrelated, you know, tapestry of things. I, I don't yeah. really remember. Um, I'm sure he would say something about how like, you know, that gum you like is going to come back in style as something about like marketing and like, I, I don't know. He, he would be looking at it on a whole different level. Like it's retro or so, like it's like a TV commercial you would hear like in an old timey like radio program or something. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I, like again, I just think like, what if that was in my dream? Mm-hmm. How would I interpret that? I don't, I don't have a good answer for you right now. Yeah, I'll turn over it. Yeah. Um, so Leland wants to dance with Donna um, again, just recalling the the Maddie murder. Um, he starts the record playing. There's a shot of the a close-up shot of the record spinning with the needle on it, which is that shot is exactly in uh, Inland Empire. Just thought that's worth noting. Like Lynch didn't direct this episode, um, but that exact shot is in Inland Empire, and I know that that's just one of those things that is. It's just a very specific visual that means something to Lynch or something that he likes to go to. A little signature of his. Um, while they're dancing, Leland like grabs Donna. Uh, like this is right where like the murder is about to happen. Uh, and it definitely, you know, she screams, like she starts freaking out too. Like it's, it's serious. Like he definitely crossed the line. Yeah. Uh, and right then the doorbell rings and it's Truman saying like Leland, you know, I need you to come with me right away and I can't tell you why. Yeah, and that's it. Uh, and Donna walks away crying. <clears throat> so yeah, that's our sort of uh tension filled, you know, brush with death for Donna. But but is is he creepy up until the point where he grabs her and pulls her in? He definitely... Your your dead daughter's friend comes over, you offer her lemonade, and then want to dance with her. Right. It's it's definitely creepy to us, but I don't think it's creepy in the world of Twin Peaks. Yeah. Quite. It it almost seems quaint, right? Right. I mean, we've already seen... Teenagers smoking in a diner. Ooh, that's bad to us, (laughs) but it's quaint and nice and like you know kind of homey and it just gives you like this nice feeling right we've already seen the scene where the haywards invite you know leland and sarah over for dinner after laura's death and the younger sister is playing piano uh and leland decides that he wants to sing a song for everybody you know so this this anachronistic like you know suburban sort of like warm (laughs) neighborly vibes that they have before the radio that's what people would do yeah radio yeah, ruined everything 
So, um, okay, next, uh, Donna, you know, obviously has reached out to James at some point in here and asked her to come meet up with her. So they're out in the wilderness, you know, and James rides up on his motorcycle and she tells him Maddie is dead. Um, it's a weird scene because like, you know, Donna doesn't really know Maddie is dead, but she can feel it. You know, she has enough little indications to know, but she doesn't know. Um, so it's a pretty stark conclusion to reach. And James definitely doesn't know. Yeah. She doesn't know. Right. Because and and does she say dead or does she just say something happened to him? Oh, she says Maddie's dead. Yeah. 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 She does. But all that she actually knows is that she didn't make it home based on that previous, you know, the phone call that Leland received when she was over there. Um, and James immediately just takes her at her word and doesn't really ask any follow-up questions (laughs) and just kind of like freaks out on her. And, uh, so to James, you know, as an emotional teenager, you know, what this means to James is like everything that I touch is ruined. You know, first I loved this girl, Laura, uh, and it was all ruined. Uh, yeah. And then I thought maybe I could find peace with her friend Donna. You know, we had this secret love and now it's allowed to bloom. And maybe that's what was right for the universe. And, and now Maddie's dead, too. Um, so James has a hissy fit and rides away on his motorcycle. To yeah, en- yeah, he's about almost- to enter the world's best uh, B plot ever. Yeah, dude, <laughs> that totally matters. Uh Dude, I get it. <laughs> that speech that, that James gives, it's like you're talking about plagiarism. They're like that frame shot in the in the living room. But mm-hmm. It seems like it's plagiarized from the outsiders. Yeah, he says, what it does it matter? matter. If- it doesn't gonna change. <laughs> yeah, nothing we do matters. What does it matter if we're happy and the rest of the world still goes yeah, to hell? that's from the outsiders. <laughs> Go watch that movie. I'm pretty sure that line's in there. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> okay, we're gonna uh, we're gonna wrap things up quickly here, but we're we're winding things down. Because Emilio Estevez is gonna come up on you with a crop top here. He's, <laughs> yeah, he's already got the wardrobe for it, so it's kind of yeah, good to go. The yeah. jacket. Okay, so now we're having uh, Cooper's uh, meeting at the roadhouse. Uh, there's lightning striking. We first saw lightning strike when Leland was was uh, uh, inhabiting the Bob. Uh, persona uh, in the previous scene but there's lightning uh, happening and ben is in there it feels uh, more like nonchalantly. a seance, yeah exactly yeah it's like a gathering of yeah these these key players for some unknown magical purpose as cooper will describe um ben horn is there nonchalantly cracking nuts uh <laughs> and like being like I disinterested love ben horn dude <laughs> yeah it's so yep. he's so sweet uh, Truman's there. Cooper's there. Leland is there, you know, per the previous scene, you know, Truman brought him in Uh big Ed shows up. Albert is there. And then Hawk brings in Bobby and Leo as well. And Cooper says, I have reason to believe the killer is in this room. Um, but then like, there's nothing really happening. They, they try to like make a space, you know, for the seance to occur. They move the tables out of the way in the roadhouse. Um, and Cooper says someone is still missing. Uh, and then uh, suddenly Major Briggs shows up with the old room service guy. Uh, and he says, I was on my way home and this kind gentleman flagged me down and asked if I could drive him here. Uh, the room service guy gives Cooper a stick of gum. Uh, and then Leland latches onto that and says, that's my most favorite gum in the world. You know, I used to chew that when I was a kid. Uh, and then Cooper hears the audio from the red room dream. It's all happening. The magic is occurring. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause Cooper basically gives this like speech that says like, you know, in the course of this investigation, I've tried all the different, you know, tactics I have at my disposal, uh, you know, police work, you know, investigation, luck, uh, Tibetan methods, but now I need something else, you know, and for lack of a better word, let's call it magic. So then, you know, Coop hears the, after getting this you know, stick of gum from the enchanted old man, uh, he hears the audio that Laura whispered into his dream uh, in the Red Room dream, which, you know, previously he said he can't remember. Right? Remember, that was the whole premise of like the second episode of the show. So he wakes up after that dream and he says that Laura whispered the name of her killer into my ear. Right. Who was it? I can't remember. Um, and so you hear Laura say, my father killed me. Uh, the giant gives Cooper his ring back. Uh, so the giant makes an appearance just like what was foretold. Um and then, so yeah, finally, they basically just like, you know, th- this is where the scheme that you alluded to earlier kicks in. And they decide they're going to arrest Ben Horn with Leland as coming along as the attorney. But when they're back at the police station, they pull the old switcheroo uh, and they shove Leland into the jail cell before he has a chance to really even understand what's going on. Yeah, does Truman, does he 
not know that that's going to happen until they get back to the police station and Cooper yeah. whispers that thing to him. Yeah, Cooper pulls him aside and whispers it Because Truman seems ear. pretty cool about it. Right, right. Well, Cooper would be go- cool with it. Uh, Truman would be cool with this all along because he wants Ben Horn to, you know, he does think Ben Horn is the guy. Um, but then at the very end there, it's like when Cooper whispers in his ear, it's like, yeah, that is like, why is Truman going along with that so much? But whatever. I mean, I, I guess it works for the plot. Maybe he kind of knew already. I mean, yeah. When does Truman know? Yeah, that's a good question. Point counterpoint. Yeah. Well, and they do sort of like uh, digest all of their information afterwards. Um, so like we, you do kind of like you do kind of become convinced that there was enough there um, to understand how it could be Leland. Um, but you kind of have to have it explained to you afterwards. Um, but anyway, yeah, as soon as they lock Leland up in this jail cell, he starts acting like a complete like freak, right? He's like screaming and banging his head against the wall because that's like Bob the demon, you know, thrashing in anger at his his being captured. Although Bob can just leave and kind of float somewhere. Yeah. So why is Bob staying around? Yeah, well, he'll leave soon, right? And that's, that's explained yeah. a little bit in a minute, yeah. Um yeah, and they they try to question you know Leland as he's inhabited by Bob, uh, and Bob brings up the Pittsburgh thing. Uh, he mentions like the just like what happened to you in Pittsburgh, eh, Coop? Uh, when he's talking about Maddie's murder, so you know this is like this dark incident in Cooper's past, which we don't, never really learn what it is, but we know that it's something that that haunts him. Mm. Yeah, he says, I, I just thought it was something supernatural he encountered. I don't know why I thought that. There, there's a story that Cooper tells. Did it happen already, or is it going to happen in the future? About like a woman he loved once. Uh, it's, it's all interrelated with the, with the uh, Wyndham Merle stuff. Yeah, I think he, he talked to Audrey about something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think Wyndham Merle killed her, or uh, something like that. Um, I like how Leland admits he's the killer. Woo, woo, woo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's, That's a yes. <laughs> Yeah, he says, Leland, you've been a good vehicle, but it's almost nearly time to shuffle off to Buffalo. Uh, and he says, when I go, Bob says, when I go, you watch Leland remember, but not for long. Um, okay, so then to, to inject a little levity here, we have another <laughs> Lucy and Andy scene where they have Dick Tremaine come over to talk about the baby. And um, but it does play into the plot a little bit because well first of all interestingly uh, Dick goes they, Dick comes to the sheriff's station to talk to Andy and Lucy about how Lucy is going to have the baby and once it's born they'll do a paternity test because she doesn't know whose it is um, and so uh, Dick light, is is pulls out a cigarette and asks Andy got a light and he literally says got a light I mean that's coincidence I, but it's crazy yeah it is a, I was thinking that like no that's a coincidence but yeah it is yeah. interesting. It's pretty yeah. good though. Yeah, so yeah, then, then I, Dick starts I was definitely thinking that, dude. I mean, he says it just like the, I know. the woodsmen say it. I know. So, so yeah, dude, he starts... I, I like how yeah, I wasn't sure that Dick was a fop at all, but then he brought out the cigarette holder. <laughs> yeah, he's got FDR's cigarette yeah, holder. Up until then, I really <laughs> didn't get it, but thanks for that. <laughs> touch. Right. right. Um so then he starts smoking, which reminds us about the smoke detector uh, and the sprinkler system in the sheriff's station. Um, okay, back down uh, in the holding area, Cooper is explaining all the clues. Um, you know, uh, uh, Bob was described as having white hair, and as soon as he killed, uh, as soon as Laura died, Leland's hair turned white. Um, the little man in Cooper's dream was dancing. After Laura's death, Leland couldn't stop dancing uh, randomly. Um, Leland described the family that, that lived, you know, down the way from him, um, as being named Robertson, you know, Robert's son, son of Robert, uh, these little things that are all like, you know, if you were really watching Twin Peaks as like a, a snoop trying to like gather clues and solve the mystery, like a Encyclopedia Brown, um, you know, back then in the nineties, like these would have been like your little data points that validate yeah, this uh, the is conclusion. Like the, uh, the answers they're, they're giving you. Yeah. Um, those, okay, those uh, Graham Green books. Yeah, exactly. The eleventh uh, hour. Yeah. Um, the sprinkler system gets set off in the sheriff station. Leland freaks out and starts banging his head against the metal door of the cell. So they think he's going to kill himself. Um, and so they, you know, open up the room and and um, and yeah, he he basically kind of knocks himself out and he's dying. Uh, and they call for an ambulance and 
This is the, the Ray Wise, uh, you know, Oscar performance here, like his his pivotal scene where he like, you know, cries and remembers how he was abused and Bob, you know, invaded his body when he was a boy. And, uh, you know, they made him uh, kill Teresa Banks and told him that if they wouldn't give them Laura, then they would make him kill her too. Uh, and so on and so on. And then Cooper basically kind of cradles Leland uh, as as the shower rains down upon them very cinematically and uh, guides Leland uh, into the land of the dead. Um, did you catch this quote here that that, that Cooper uh, gives, like the guidance for Leland? Do you already know about this? This is from the Tibetan Book of the Dead. I had to look it up. Oh, is it? I didn't know anything. No. Yeah, he says, Leland, the time has come for you to seek the path. Your soul has set you face to face with the clear light, and you are now about to experience it in its reality, wherein all things are like the void and cloudless sky, and the naked spotless intellect is like a transparent vacuum without circumference or center. Leland, in this moment, know yourself and abide in that state. Look to the light. And uh, yeah, it turns out if you Google that, that's from uh, the translation of the Tibetan Book of the Dead interesting document you probably know a thing or two about this because jung wrote a famous uh, like introduction and analysis of uh, the tibetan book of the dead apparently which i was not familiar with yeah yeah i've not uh, gotten into that but yeah i think i know something of that sure see when i first watched this i thought this was just more like good i thought he writing. wrote an analysis to I Ching in a translation of that but maybe he did the tibetan book of the dead too yeah, maybe he did both. The thing that I read on Wikipedia said he wrote it as like an intro to this famous English translation, but then it also wound up getting like republished as part of his collected works later. Um, but yeah. Uh, well, I'm sure I read it at some point. I just forgot it. Oops. Um, but yeah, good stuff. I mean, good scene. I mean, obviously well, it's well, melodramatic. Dude, the, the quotation I remember is when Leon's talking about Bob and he said, I think this is interesting. He said, and when he was gone, I couldn't remember. Mm-hmm. Like, Bob would make me do all these bad things, and when he left, I couldn't remember. Mm -hmm. Meaning, like, why I accepted Bob back, maybe, I, you know. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, you know, psychologically pretty meaningful. Right. Anyway. Um, okay, so that's that's basically it. I mean, and, this and is what about the way that Leland did? Did you uh, maybe that was just a coincidence too? Like, got a light, but the way that Leland says Laura, it's like how uh, Sarah says it when when he when she calls up to her, you know, in the like the first scene in the first episode. Mm, I Laura, didn't catch that. Laura, yeah. right? He says right. it the same exact way. I mean, interesting. It, it, it struck me. So maybe that that's also it. kind of how Waldo the bird wound up saying it too. Uh, kind of like is, how Waldo the bird said it, yeah. Which is interesting. Wh which, like, we never really, you know, totally know the full details of that. But you got to think that, you know, Waldo the bird said that probably because, like, Ronette was saying Laura's name. Like, I don't really know. But anyway. Um, yeah, I guess, yeah. Finally, the conclusion of the episode, um, the, the cops are just, you know, unwinding, processing, like, all the terrible stuff that just happened. And, um, and Truman's basically saying like, you know, I'm having a hard time believing all of this stuff, like the spiritual nature of this crime, like the real, the Bob, you know, stuff. And, uh, you know, Cooper just says like, yeah, is, is it any easier to believe, uh, you know, that is this guy, you knew Leland Palmer would have done all of this stuff. And I think that kind of relates to the twin perfect thing. You know, it's like part of the point of twin peaks is to remind you that like this particular murder, even though it's just like a cops and robbers show, uh, or you know what I mean, like a homicide detective show. It like it exists in this world of Twin Peaks where it actually affects people and is really terrible. Uh, like it doesn't TVify the terribleness of it, and um, th I think this kind of you know reinforces that sort of theme. And um, and they just say like, okay, well this is true, you know. Then where is Bob now? Because um, we saw him. You know, we saw Bob leave Leland. And so yeah, that's how the show continues on, right? Where is Bob now? And we see this sort of shot like tracking through the undergrowth of the woods and then a yeah. kind of clumsy, you know, early 90s freeze frame of an owl. Uh not like the most beautiful shot in the world, but it makes the point. Well, it seems like he's going to the Black Lodge. Yeah. I mean, you'll you'll find out later that's what's going on. Mhm. Mm yeah, the point being wherever Bob is going, the show isn't over. The story isn't over. The the yeah, battle it just got that, good. 
yeah, the, 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 the battle that Cooper is engaged in has not been won. Um, or the war that Cooper is engaged in has not been won, even if he won this battle. Okay, that's it. We got through basically the everything in Twin Peaks, in the original conception of Twin Peaks, we have now officially reached the point where David Lynch is done with Twin Peaks, right? by his own words. Right? He will come back and direct episodes. Famously, he'll direct episode 29, which is one of the greats, uh, not to mention all of season three. But, but at this point in the narrative of how Twin Peaks you know, was created as a show on TV, um, they were basically being forced by the network this far in, nine episodes deep into season two, to start you know, giving people some freaking answers already. Right? And that pressure had been building for a while, so they came up with this story arc to get us to revealing who the killer is. Although the original, original intent was that you would never find out uh, who the killer was. And, right, we uh, probably talked about this, but was the original intent to in, intent to not have any killer in mind or to know that Leland did it through Bob, but just not reveal it ever? I I would guess the former. I don't I don't know that personally. That's just my guess. I don't remember ever learning that one way or the other. Yeah. But it's going to be interesting to see right from here on out. It feels like, like a key fact to know, though. Yeah, I mean, knowing that Bob can do this is very important. Knowing that he was inhabiting Leland as opposed to, say, Leo, maybe not. I don't know. Um, that's hard to say. But I guess you know it's not Leo once Maddie dies, you know, and Leo's in a coma. So I don't know. Feels but, like it's uh, more about family trauma than it is about uh, TV violence to me. Yeah, but that's... that's that's my that's read a good on point. it, and I think um, I don't know. I mean, what does it mean to you? Like, do you yeah, have that, a that? That's like, a really what good is point. This about? I, I, as we you know discussed in previous episodes, I am like dubious of the twin perfect analysis being so media focused. You know, the twin perfect perspective is that like what Twin Peaks is really talking about is the nature of storytelling on television and in movies. Uh, and the impact that it that has on our humanity and our our morality, to me, that's a little bit too textual, a little bit too like medium oriented of a sort of take for somebody like Lynch, who I think is much more, um, you know, thinking about things that are you know deeper in the subconscious. And um, yeah, the fact that it's your father matters a lot uh, in this story. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's my father killed me is specifically what Laura says. Like there's something so, um, it couldn't have been anybody else in retrospect and, and still had the same impact, I guess is the point. Right. You mean learning what she did say in the dream? Right. Yeah. Like if she just said Ben Horn, there you go. Right. Right. Be like, oh, okay. I fell off a bridge accidentally. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, okay. Well, no, that wouldn't have, wouldn't have worked quite the same way. And I guess that's well, part of the well, reason why. What about why. when Leland's, you know, given that speech at the end after Bob leaves his body, and he's talking about how Bob, and I think he even uses the words like came into him. Yes, he does. Maybe that's he just my homoeroticism projection. He, he said he said he opened me up and came inside me. I mean, it's very. Very, uh, uh, yeah, so so that's you what you're it, thinking. Like, you're thinking sexual abuse as he's saying that because if you're not, when I'm not thinking that, it, it just doesn't make sense, and I have a difficult time grabbing hold on of it. But when I do, it really hits hard, right? It, it's hard for me to think that they wrote it that specific way without intending to make that illusion. Um, so how so, is Bob any anything besides just like this symbol of like this abuse trauma complex? Yeah. Yeah. I I think you're right. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, in the in the on the metaphysical plane of the convenience store, right? Like the whole idea is supposed to be that there's these other beings that survive on like vampirically survive on Garmin Bozia, like pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. And I, I think a big part of the whole point is that the way that you actually attain like that stuff, the pure, you know, fish scale, like, you know, Garmin Bozia, like lab quality uh, is through like, you know, the horror of horrors, like familial sexual abuse or things that are like that terrible. It's not just normal, like murdering people at random. Um, there has to be more pain and suffering, and it's not—it's not violence that they live on. It's pain and suffering. 
Yeah, and then nothing's uh, much more painful and suffering than that. Right, so you have to like kind of go towards the yeah, the worst possible. Yeah, yeah exactly. And um, yeah, so and, and I guess what that means going forward is that like you know we're well whatever it's a long ways away we're we're about to get into the Wyndham Earl plotline and I think part of the whole thing with Wyndham Earl is that he's both set up to be this super scary like nemesis to Cooper but he's also a really dumb idiot who does not understand what he's dealing with like he thinks he's about to crack this code of the Black Lodge but he's he's like he's unserious in his sort of like attempts to like understand it and maybe even like tame it it's very like hubristic um because the i don't think he really has a proper understanding of like how bad this really is and that's part of the reason why the Wyndham earl stuff is sort of like silly in comparison to leland palmer yeah i i don't really remember it i, I will take your word for it for now and also just the acting he just seems like a goofball yeah yep it's like, dude, are you in, supposed to be in Who Framed Roger Rabbit or like, what's going on here? I think, right. yeah. Right, exactly. All right, well, we'll get there next time. But in the meantime, yeah, next time. Um, yeah RIP Leland. Everyone let us know what you think. The Brazenheads Podcast at gmail.com. All right, man. Good talking to you. All right, later. Later.